section ninety six of the cloister and the hearth this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the cloister and the hearth by charles reed chapter ninety one not many days after this came the news that margaret van eyck was dead and buried by a will she had made a year before she left all her property after her funeral expenses and certain presents to wright haynes to her dear daughter margaret brant requesting her to keep wright as long as unmarried by this will margaret inherited a furnished house and pictures and sketches that in the present day would be a fortune among the pictures was one she valued more than a gallery of others it represented a betrothal the solemnity of the ceremony was marked in the grave face of the man and the demure complacency of the woman she was painted almost entirely by margaret van eyck but the rest of the picture by jan the accessories were exquisitely finished and remain a marvel of skill to this day margaret brant sent word to wright to stay in the house till such time as she could find the heart to put foot in it and miss the face and voice that used to meet her there and to take special care of the picture in the little cupboard meaning the diptych the next thing was luke peterson came home and heard that gerard was a monk he was like to go mad with joy he came to margaret and said heed mistress if he cannot marry you i can you said margaret why i have seen him but he is a friar he was my husband and my boy's father long ere he was a friar and i have seen him i have seen him luke was thoroughly puzzled i'll tell you what said he i have got a cousin a lawyer i'll go and ask him whether you are married or single nay i shall ask my own heart not a lawyer so that is your regard for me to go making me the town talk oh fie that is done already without a word from me but not by such as seek my respect and if you do it never come nigh me again ay said luke with a sigh you are like a dove to all the rest but you are a hard-hearted tyrant to me tis your own fault dear luke for wooing me that is what lets me from being as kind to you as i desire luke my bonny lad listen to me i am rich now i can make my friends happy though not myself look round the street look round the parish there is many a queen in it fairer than i twice told and not spoiled with weeping look high and take your choice speak you to the lass herself and i'll speak to the mother they shall not say thee nay take my word for it i see what ye mean said luke turning very red but if i can't have your liking i will none owe your money i was your servant when you were poor as i and poorer no if you would leave her be a friar's leman 
than an honest man's wife you are not the woman i took you for so part we withouten malice seek you your comfort on yon road where never a she did find it yet and for me i'll live and die a bachelor good even mistress farewell dear luke and god forgive you for saying that to me for some days margaret dreaded almost as much as she desired the coming interview with gerard she said to herself i wonder not he keeps away a while for so should i however he would hear he was a father and the desire to see their boy would overcome everything and said the poor girl to herself if so be that meeting does not kill me i feel i shall be better after it than i am now but when day after day went by and he was not heard of a freezing suspicion began to crawl and creep towards her mind what if his absence was intentional what if he had gone to some cold-blooded monks his fellows and they had told him never to see her more the convent had ere this shown itself as merciless to true lovers as the grave itself at this thought the very life seemed to die out of her and now for the first time deep indignation mingled at times with her grief and apprehension can he have ever loved me to run from me and his boy without a word why this poor luke thinks more of me than he does while her mind was in this state giles came roaring i've hit the clout our gerard is vicar of gouda a very brief sketch of the dwarf's court life will suffice to prepare the reader for his own account of this feat some months before he went to court his intelligence had budded he himself dated the change from a certain eighth of june when swinging by one hand along with the week's washing on a tight rope in the drying ground something went crack inside his head and lo intellectual powers unchained at court his shrewdness and bluntness of speech coupled with his gigantic voice and his small stature made him a power without the last item i fear they would have conducted him to that unpopular gymnasium the gallows the young duchess of burgundy and marie the heiress apparent both petted him as great ladies have petted dwarfs in all ages and the court poet melted butter by the six-foot rule and poured enough of it down his back to stew goliah in he even amplified versified and enfeebled certain rough and ready sentences dictated by giles the centipedal prolixity that resulted went to eli by letter thus entitled the high and puissant princess marie of bourgogne her little gentleman his complaint of e-court and praise of a rustical life versificated and empapered by me the little gentleman's right loving and obsequious servitor etc but the dwarf reached his climax by a happy mixture of mind and muscle thus the day before a grand court joust he challenged the duke's giant to a trial of strength this challenge made the gravest grin and aroused expectation giles had a lofty pole planted ready and at the appointed hour went up it like a squirrel and by strength of arm made a right angle with his body and so remained then slid down so quickly that the high and puissant princess squeaked and hid her face in her hands not to see the demise 
of her pocket hercules the giant effected only about ten feet then looked ruefully up and ruefully down and descended bathed in perspiration to argue the matter it was not the dwarf's greater strength but his smaller body the spectators received this excuse with loud derision there was the fact the dwarf was great at mounting a pole the giant only great at excuses in short giles had gauged their intellects with his own body no doubt come said he and ye go to that i'll wrestle ye my lad if so be you will let me blindfold your ein the giant smarting under defeat and thinking he could surely recover it by this means readily consented madam said giles see you yon blind samson at a signal from me he shall make me a low obeisance and unbonnet to me how may that be being blinded inquired a maid of honour i'll wager on giles for one said the princess that is my affair when several wagers were laid pro and con giles hit the giant in the bread-basket he went double the obeisance and his bonnet fell off the company yelled with delight at this delicate stroke of wit and giles took to his heels the giant followed as soon as he could recover his breath and tear off his bandage but it was too late giles had prepared a little door in the wall through which he could pass but not a giant and had coloured it so artfully it looked like a wall this door he tore open and went headlong through leaving no vestige but this posy written very large upon the reverse of his tricked door long limbs big body panting wit by we and wise is bet and bit after this giles became a force he shall now speak for himself finding margaret unable to believe the good news and sceptical as to the affairs of holy church being administered by dwarfs he narrated as follows when the princess sent for me to her bedroom as of custom to keep her out of languor i came not mirthful nor full of country dicks as is my wont but dull as lead why what aileth thee quo she art sick at heart quo i alas he is in love quo she whereat five brazen hussies which they call them maids of honour did giggle loud not so mad as that said i seeing what i see at court of women folk there ladies quo the princess best let him a be tis a liberal mannikin and still giveth more than he taketh of saucy words in all sadness quo she what is the matter i told her i was meditating and what perplexed me was that other folk could now and then keep their word but princes never heyday says she thy shafts fly high this morn i told her i for they hit the truth she said i was as keen as keen but it became not me to put riddles to her nor her to answer them stand aloof a bit madame said she and thou speak without fear for she saw i was in sad earnest i began to quake a bit for mind ye she can doff freedom and don dignity quicker than she can slip out of her dressing-gown into kirtle of state but i made my voice so soft as honey wherefore smilest and i said madam one evening a matter of five years agone as ye sat with your mother the countess of carolois who is now in heaven worse luck 
you wi your lute and she wi her tapestry or the like do ye mind there came into ye a fair youth with a letter from a painter body one margaret van eyck she said she thought she did was it not a tall youth exceeding comely ay madam said i he was my brother your brother said she and did i me like all over what dost smile at so i told her all that passed between her and gerard and how she was for giving him a bishopric but the good countess said gently marie he is too young and with that they did both promise him a living yet said i he hath been a priest a long while and no living hence my bile alas said she tis not by my good will for all this thou hast said is sooth and more i do remember my dear mother said to me see thou to it if i be not here so then she cried out ay dear mother no word of thine shall ever fall to the ground i seeing her so ripe said quickly madam the vicar of gouda died last week for when ye seek favours of the great behooves ye know the very thing ye aim at then thy brother is vicar of gouda quoth she so sure as i am heiress of burgundy and the netherlands nay thank me not good giles quoth she but my good mother and i do thank thee for giving of me somewhat to do for her memory and doesn't she fall a-weeping for her mother and doesn't that set me off a snivelling for my good brother that i love so dear and to think that a poor little elf like me could yet speak in the ear of princes and make my beautiful brother vicar of gouda hey lass it is a bonny place and a bonny manse and hawthorn in every bush at springtide and dog-roses and eglantine in every summer hedge i know what the poor fool affects leave that to me the dwarf began his narrative strutting to and fro before margaret but he ended it in her arms for she could not contain herself but caught him and embraced him warmly oh giles she said blushing and kissing him i cannot keep my hands off thee thy body it is so little and thy heart so great thou art his true friend bless thee bless thee bless thee now we shall see him again we have not set eyes on him since that terrible day gramercy but that is strange said giles maybe he is ashamed of having cursed those two vagabones being our own flesh and blood worse luck think you that is why he hides said margaret eagerly ay if he is hiding at all however i'll cry him by bellman nay that might much offend him what care i is gouda to go vicarless and the manse in nettles and to margaret's secret satisfaction giles had the new vicar cried in rotterdam and the neighbouring towns he easily persuaded margaret that in a day or two gerard would be sure to hear and come to his benefice she went to look at his manse and thought how comfortable it might be made for him and how dearly she should love to do it but the days rolled on and gerard came neither to rotterdam nor gouda giles was mortified margaret indignant and very wretched she said to herself thinking me dead he comes home and now because i am alive he goes back to italy for that is where he has gone joan advised her to consult the hermit of gouda why sure he is dead by this time yon one belike but the cave is never long void gouda ne'er wants a hermit but margaret declined to go again to gouda on such an errand 
what can he know shut up in a cave less than i belike gerard hath gone back tittily he hates me for not being dead presently a turgovian came in with a word from catherine that gisbrecht von sweiten had seen gerard later than any one else on this margaret determined to go and see the house and goods that had been left her and take reicht haines home to rotterdam and as may be supposed her steps took her first to gisbrecht's house she found him in his garden seated in a chair with wheels he greeted her with a feeble voice but cordially and when she asked him whether it was true he had seen gerard since the fifth of august he replied gerard no more but friar clement i i saw him and blessed be the day he entered my house he then related in his own words his interview with clement he told her moreover that the friar had afterwards acknowledged he came to Turgu with the missing deed in his bosom on purpose to make him disgorge her land but that finding him disposed towards penitence he had gone to work the other way was not this a saint who came to right thee but must needs save his enemy's soul in the doing it to her question whether he had recognized him he said i ne'er suspected such a thing twas only when he had been three days with me that he revealed himself listen while i speak my shame and his praise i said to him the land is gone home and my stomach feels lighter but there is another fault that clingeth to me still then told i him of the letter i had writ at request of his brethren i whose place it was to check them said i yon letter was writ to part two lovers and the devil aiding it hath done the foul work land and houses i can give back but yon mischief is done for ever nay quoth he not for ever but for life repent it then while thou livest i shall said i but how can god forgive it i would not said i were i he yet will he certainly forgive it quoth he for he is ten times more forgiving than i am and i forgive thee i stared at him and then he said softly but quavering like gisbrecht look at me closer i am gerard the son of eli and i looked and looked and at last lo it was gerard verily i had fallen at his feet with shame and contrition but he would not suffer me that became not mine years and his for a particular fault i say not i forgive thee without a struggle said he not being a saint but these three days thou hast spent in penitence i have worn under thy roof in prayer and i do forgive thee those were his very words margaret's tears began to flow for it was in a broken and contrite voice the old man told her this unexpected trait in her gerard he continued and even with that he bade me farewell my work here is done now said he i had not the heart to stay him for let him forgive me ever so the sight of me must be wormwood to him he left me in peace and may a dying man's blessing wait on him go where he will o girl when i think of his wrongs and thine and how he hath avenged himself by saving this stained soul of mine my heart is broken with remorse and these old eyes shed tears by night and day gisbrecht said margaret weeping since he hath forgiven thee i forgive thee too what is done is done and thou hast let me know this day that which i had walked the world to hear but o burgomaster thou art an understanding man now help a poor woman which hath forgiven thee her misery 
she then told him all that had befallen and said she they will not keep the living for him for ever he bids fair to lose that as well as break all our hearts call my servant cried the burgomaster with sudden vigour he sent him for a table and writing materials and dictated letters to the burgomasters in all the principal towns in holland and one to a prussian authority his friend his clerk and margaret wrote them and he signed them there said he the matter shall be dispatched throughout holland by trusty couriers and as far as basel in switzerland and fear not but we will soon have the vicar of gouda to his village she went home animated with fresh hopes and accusing herself of ingratitude to gerard i value my wealth now said she she also made a resolution never to blame his conduct till she should hear from his own lips his reason not long after her return from Tugu, a fresh disaster befell catherine i must premise had secret interviews with the black sheep the very day after they were expelled and cornelis followed her to Tugu and lived there on secret contributions but sybrant chose to remain in rotterdam ere catherine left she asked margaret to lend her two gold angels for said she all mine are spent margaret was delighted to lend them or give them but the words were scarce out of her mouth ere she caught a look of regret and distress on kate's face and she saw directly whither her money was going she gave catherine the money and went and shut herself up with her boy now this money was to last sybrant till his mother could make some good excuse for visiting rotterdam again and then she would bring the idle dog some of her own industrious savings but sybrant having gold in his pocket thought it inexhaustible and being now under no shadow of restraint led the life of a complete sot until one afternoon in a drunken frolic he climbed on the roof of the stable at the inn he was carousing in and proceeded to walk along it a feat he had performed many times when sober but now his unsteady brain made his legs unsteady and he rolled down the roof and fell with a loud thwack on to an horizontal paling where he hung a moment in a semicircle then toppled over and lay silent on the ground amidst roars of laughter from his boon companions when they came to pick him up he could not stand but fell down giggling at each attempt on this they went staggering and roaring down the street with him and carried him at great risk of another fall to the shop in the hoog straight for he had babbled his own shame all over the place as soon as he saw margaret he hiccuped out here is the doctor that cures all hurts a bonny lass he also bade her observe he bore her no malice for he was paying her a visit sore against his will wherefore prithee send away these drunkards and let you and me have t'other glass to drown all unkindness all this time margaret was pale and red by turns at sight of her enemy and at his insolence but one of the men whispered what had happened and a streaky something in sybrant's face arrested her attention and he cannot stand up say you eh couldn't just now try comrade be a man now i'm a better man than thou roared sybrant i'll stand up and fight ye all for a crown he started to his feet and instantly rolled into his attendant's arms with a piteous groan he then began to curse his boon companions and declared they had stolen away his legs he could feel nothing below the waist alas poor wretch said margaret she turned very gravely to the men and said leave him here and if you have brought him to this go on your knees 
for you have spoiled him for life he will never walk again his back is broken the drunken man caught these words and the foolish look of intoxication fled and a glare of anguish took his place the curse he groaned the curse margaret and right haines carried him carefully and laid him on the softest bed i must do as he would do whispered margaret he was kind to gisbrecht her opinion was verified sybrand's spine was fatally injured and he lay groaning and helpless fed and tended by her he had so deeply injured the news was sent to turgu and catherine came over it was a terrible blow to her moreover she accused herself as the cause oh false wife oh weak mother she cried i am rightly punished for my treason to my poor eli she sat for hours at a time by his bedside rocking herself in silence and was never quite herself again and the first grey hairs began to come in her poor head from that hour as for sybrant all his cry was now for gerard he used to whine to margaret like a suffering hound oh sweet margaret oh bonny margaret for our lady's sake find gerard and bid him take his curse off me thou art gentle thou art good thou wilt entreat for me and he will refuse thee naught catherine shared his belief that gerard could cure him and joined her entreaties to his margaret hardly needed this their burgomaster and his agents having failed she employed her own and spent money like water and among these agents poor luke enrolled himself she met him one day looking very thin and spoke to him compassionately on this he began to blubber and say he was more miserable than ever he would like to be good friends again upon almost any terms dear heart said margaret sorrowfully why can you not say to yourself now i am her little brother and she is my old married sister worn down with care say so and i will indulge thee and pet thee and make thee happier than a prince well i will said luke savagely sooner than keep away from you altogether but above all give me something to do perchance i may have better luck this time get me my marriage lines said margaret turning sad and gloomy in a moment that is as much as to say get me him for where they are he is not so he may refuse to come nigh me but certes he will not deny a poor woman who loved him once her lines of betrothal how can she go without them into any honest man's house i'll get them you if they are in holland said luke they are as like to be in rome replied margaret let us begin with holland observed luke prudently the slave of love was furnished with money by his soft tyrant and wandered hither and thither coopering and carpentering and looking for gerard i can be worse if i find the vagabond said he and i may be a hantle better the months rolled on and sybrant improved in spirit but not in body he was margaret's pensioner for life and a long-expected sorrow fell upon poor catherine and left her still more bowed down and she lost her fine hearty bustling way and never went about the house singing now and her nerves were shaken and she lived in dread of some terrible misfortune falling on cornelis the curse was laid on him as well as sybrant she prayed eli if she had been a faithful partner all these years to take cornelis into his house again and let her live a while at rotterdam i have good daughters here said she but margaret is so tender and thoughtful and the little gerard he is my joy he grows like his father every day and his prattle cheers my heavy heart and i do love children and eli sturdy but kindly consented sorrowfully and the people of gouda petitioned the duke for a vicar a real vicar 
ours cometh never nigh us said they this six months past our children they die unchristened and our folk unburied except by some chance comer giles influence baffled this just complaint once but a second petition was prepared and he gave margaret little hope that the present position could be maintained a single day so then margaret went sorrowfully to the pretty manse to see it for the last time ere it should pass for ever into strangers hands i think he would have been happy here she said and turned heart-sick away on their return right haines proposed to her to go and consult the hermit what said margaret joan has been at you she is the one for hermits i'll go if tis but to show thee they know no more than we do and they went to the cave it was an excavation partly natural partly artificial in a bank of rock overgrown by brambles there was a rough stone door on hinges and a little window high up and two apertures through one of which the people announced their gifts to the hermit and put questions of all sorts to him and when he chose to answer his voice came dissonant and monstrous out at another small aperture on the face of the rock this line was cut felix qui in domino nixus ab orbe fugit margaret observed to her companion that this was new since she was here last ay said wright like enough and looked up at it with awe writing even on paper she thought no trifle but on rock she whispered tis a far holier hermit than the last he used to come in the town now and then but this one ne'er shows his face to mortal man and that is holiness ay sure then what a saint a dormouse must be out fie mistress would ye even a beast to a man come right said margaret my poor father taught me over much so i will e'en sit here and look at the manse once more go thou forward and question thy solitary and tell me whether ye get naught or nonsense out of him for twill be one as wright drew near the cave a number of birds flew out of it she gave a little scream and pointed to the cave to show margaret they had come thence on this margaret felt sure there was no human being in the cave and gave the matter no further attention she fell into a deep reverie while looking at the little manse she was startled from it by reich's hand upon her shoulder and a faint voice saying let us go home you got no answer at all reich said margaret calmly no margaret said reich despondently and they returned home perhaps after all margaret had nourished some faint secret hope in her heart though her reason had rejected it for she certainly went home more dejectedly just as they entered rotterdam reich said stay oh margaret i am ill at deceit but tis death to utter ill news to thee i love thee so dear speak out sweetheart said margaret i have gone through so much i am almost past feeling any fresh trouble margaret the hermit did speak to me what a hermit there among all those birds ay and doth not that show him a holy man in god's name what said he to thee right alas margaret i told him thy story and i prayed him for our lady's sake tell me where thy gerard is and i waited long for an answer and presently a voice came like a trumpet pray for the soul of gerard the son of eli ah oh woe is me that i have this to tell thee sweet margaret bethink thee thou hast thy boy to live for yet let me get home said margaret faintly passing down the breed kirk straight they saw joan at the door reich said to her a woman she has been to your hermit and heard no good news 
come in said joan eager for a gossip margaret would not go in but she sat down disconsolate on the lowest step but one of the little external staircase that led into joan's house and let the other two gossip their fill at the top of it oh said joan what yon hermit says is sure to be sooth he is that holy i am told that the very birds consort with him what does that prove said margaret deprecatingly i have seen my gerard tame the birds in winter till they would eat from his hand a look of pity at this parallel passed between the other two but they were both too fond of her to say what they thought joan proceeded to relate all the marvellous tales she had heard of this hermit's sanctity how he never came out but at night and prayed among the wolves and they never molested him and now he bade the people not bring him so much food to pamper his body but to bring him candles the candles are to burn before his saint whispered wright solemnly ay lass and to read his holy books with a neighbour of mine saw his hand come out and the birds sat thereon and pecked crumbs she went for to kiss it but the holy men whippet it away in a trice they can't abide a woman to touch him or even look at him saints can't what like was his hand wife did you ask her what is my tongue for else why dear heart all one is yourn by the same token a had a thumb and four fingers look ye there now but a deal whiter nor yourn and mine ay ay and main skinny alas what could ye expect why a live upon air and prayer and candles ah well continued joan poor thing i whiles think tis best for her to know the worst and now she hath gotten a voice from heaven or almost as good and behooves her pray for his soul one thing she is not so poor now as she was and never fell riches to a better hand and she is only come into her own for that matter so she can pay the priest to say masses for him and that is a great comfort in the midst of their gossip margaret in whose ears it was all buzzing though she seemed lost in thought got softly up and crept away with her eyes on the ground and her brows bent she hath forgotten i am with her said wright haines ruefully she had her gossip out with joan and then went home she found margaret seated cutting out a pelisse of grey cloth and a cape to match little gerard was standing at her side inside her left arm eyeing the work and making it more difficult by wriggling about and fingering the arm with which she held the cloth steady to all which she submitted with imperturbable patience and complacency fancy a male workman so entangled impeded worried ots that mammy a police my pet ots a police a great frock and this is the cape to it ots it for to keep his body from the cold and the cape is for his shoulders or to go over his head like the country folk tis for a hermit ots a hermit a holy man that lives in a cave all by himself in de dark i was oh in the morning wright was sent to the hermit with the police and a pound of thick candles as she was going out of the door margaret said to her said you whose son gerard was nay not i think girl how could he call him gerard son of eli if you had not told him wright persisted she had never mentioned him but as plain gerard but margaret told her flatly she did not believe her at which wright was affronted and went out with a little toss of the head however she determined to question the hermit again and did not doubt he would be more liberal in his communication when he saw his nice new police and the candles she had not been gone long when giles came in with ill news the living of gouda would be kept vacant no longer 
margaret was greatly distressed at this oh giles said she ask for another month they will give thee another month maybe he returned in an hour to tell her he could not get a month they have given me a week said he and what is a week drowning bodies catch at strawin was her reply a week a little week right came back from her errand out of spirits her oracle had declined all further communication so at least its obstinate silence might fairly be interpreted the next day margaret put right in charge of the shop and disappeared all day so the next day and so the next nor would she tell any one where she had been perhaps she was ashamed the fact is she spent all those days on one little spot of ground when they thought her dreaming she was applying to every word that fell from joan and right the whole powers of a far acuter mind than either of them possessed she went to work on a scale that never occurred to either of them she was determined to see the hermit and question him face to face not through a wall she found that by making a circuit she could get above the cave and look down without being seen by the solitary but when she came to do it she found an impenetrable mass of brambles after tearing her clothes and her hands and feet so that she was soon covered with blood the resolute patient girl took out her scissors and steadily snipped and cut till she made a narrow path through the enemy but so slow was the work that she had to leave it half done the next day she had her scissors fresh ground and brought a sharp knife as well and gently silently cut her way to the roof of the cave there she made an ambush of some of the cut brambles so that the passers-by might not see her and couched with watchful eye till the hermit should come out she heard him move underneath her but he never left his cell she began to think it was true that he only came out at night the next day she came early and brought a jerkin she was making for little gerard and there she sat all day working and watching with dogged patience at four o'clock the birds began to feed and a great many of the smaller kinds came fluttering round the cave and one or two went in but most of them taking a preliminary seat on the bushes suddenly discovered margaret and went off with an agitated flirt of their little wings and although they sailed about in the air they would not enter the cave presently to encourage them the hermit all unconscious of the cause of their tremors put out a thin white hand with a few crumbs in it margaret laid down her work softly and gliding her body forward like a snake looked down at it from above it was but a few feet from her it was as the woman described it a thin white hand presently the other hand came out with a piece of bread and the two hands together broke it and scattered the crumbs but that other hand had hardly been out two seconds ere the violet eyes that were watching above dilated and the gentle bosom heaved and the whole frame quivered like a leaf in the wind what her swift eye had seen i leave the reader to guess she suppressed the scream that rose to her lips but the effort cost her dear soon the left hand of the hermit began to swim indistinctly before her gloating eyes and with a deep sigh her head drooped and she lay like a broken lily she was in a deep swoon to which perhaps her long fast to-day and the agitation and sleeplessness of many preceding days contributed and there lay beauty intelligence and constancy pale and silent and little that hermit guest who was so near him the little birds hopped on her now and one nearly entangled his little feet in her rich auburn hair she came back to her troubles the sun was set she was very cold she cried a little but i think it was partly from the remains of physical weakness and then she went home praying god and the saints to enlighten her and teach her what to do for the best 
when she got home she was pale and hysterical and would say nothing in answer to all their questions but her favourite word we are waiting in deep waters the night seemed to have done wonders for her she came to catherine who was sitting sighing by the fireside and kissed her and said mother what would you like best in the world eh dear replied catherine despondently i know naught that would make me smile now i have parted from too many that were dear to me gerard lost again as soon as found kate in heaven and sybrant down for life poor mother mother dear gouda manse is to be furnished and cleaned and made ready all in a hurry see here be ten gold angels make them go far good mother for i have ta'en over many already from my boy for a set of useless loons that were i going to find him for me catherine and wright stared at her a moment in silence and then outburst a flood of questions to none of which would she give a reply nay said she i have lain on my bed and thought and thought and thought whiles you were all sleeping and methinks i have got the clue to all i love you dear mother but i'll trust no woman's tongue if i fail this time i'll have none to blame but margaret brant a resolute woman is a very resolute thing and there was a deep dogged determination in margaret's voice and brow that had once convinced catherine it would be idle to put any more questions at that time she and wright lost themselves in conjectures and catherine whispered wright bide quiet then twill leak out a shrewd piece of advice founded on general observation within an hour catherine was on the road to gouda in a cart with two stout girls to help her and quite a siege artillery of mops and pails and brushes she came back with heightened colour and something of the old sparkle in her eye and kissed margaret with a silent warmth that spoke volumes and at five in the morning was off again to gouda that night as wright was in her first sleep a hand gently pressed her shoulder and she awoke and was going to scream wished said margaret and put her finger to her lips she then whispered rise softly don my habits and come with me when she came down margaret begged her to loose dragon and bring him along now dragon was a great mastiff who had guarded margaret van eyck and wright two lone women for some years and was devotedly attached to the latter margaret and wright went out with dragon walking majestically behind them they came back long after midnight and retired to rest catherine never knew margaret read her friends she saw the sturdy faithful frisian could hold her tongue and catherine could not yet i am not sure she would have trusted even wright had her nerve equalled her spirit but with all her daring and resolution she was a tender timid woman a little afraid of the dark very afraid of being alone in it and desperately afraid of wolves now dragon could kill a wolf in a brace of shakes but then dragon would not go with her but only with wright so altogether she made one confidant the next night they made another moonlight reconnaissance and as i think with some result for not the next night it rained that night and extinguished their courage but the next after they took with them a companion the last in the world wright haynes would have thought of yet she gave her warm approval as soon as she was told he was to go with them imagine how these stealthy assailants trembled and panted when the moment of action came imagine if you can the tumult of margaret's breast the thrilling hopes chasing and chased by sickening fears the strange and perhaps unparalleled mixture of tender familiarity and distant awe with which a lovely and high-spirited but tender adoring woman wife in the eye of the law and no wife in the eye of the church trembling blushing paling glowing shivering 
stole at night noiseless as the dew upon the hermit of gouda and the stars above seemed never so bright and calm end of section ninety six